0: Hello fellow Griever, you have found the Leftover Pieces Suicide Loss Conversations Podcast, and I am Melissa, your host. I am with you on this journey because my 21-year-old son Alex died by suicide on August 7th of 2016. Since launching this podcast in late 2020, I have followed my heart and expanded the leftover pieces to include books and an online community where I host Zoom support groups every week. It is there in this community that I lead other parents who have lost a child by suicide from survival toward hope and into healing. The website is also a resource hub, a connecting point for all survivors of suicide loss, you can find me, ways to connect with me, and links to everything that I'm doing in the community on my website, theleftoverpieces.com. Know that I'm always open to suggestions and feedback. And if you know someone that I should connect with to be on the podcast, please let me know that as well. So now, I invite you to join me for real conversations handed talk on hard topics surrounding the loss of our loved ones by suicide. I talk to other loss survivors, mental health experts, advocates, and on alternate weeks, I offer shorter solo episodes where I go down the rabbit hole to discuss things that have been on my mind or possibly parts of my journey that I feel would be beneficial to share. Every week, we explore the questions that haunt us, seek the courage to uncover the healing tools within us and offer the comfort of a community that we all need. So very much. It's true that our hearts and lives have been shattered, but come along with me. And together, let's choose to find meaning and even happiness amid the leftover pieces before us. Welcome. So today, the conversation that I have to share with you is very near and dear to my heart. I'm not going to have a really long biography to share or credentials or any of those things like I do sometimes. Instead, today's conversation is with a wonderful, amazing young woman that I have known for a very long time, whose name is Nick. Nicolette Papa is my son, Alex's best friend. For lack of better words, I would say that they were destined to be each other's friend soulmates. And yes, I believe that's a thing. They have been friends since they were in early middle school, since they were 11 or 12 years old. And she was definitely one of the closest people on the planet to him. So this is a conversation that I have... Both anticipated eagerly and somewhat put off for a long time. First of all, I didn't ever want her to feel pressured into having this conversation. But the longer the podcast has gone, the more I have realized that I really want to give a voice to all of the friends, all of the best friends that have lost their other half, the person that they thought would be there with them through all of their. Children being born and marriages starting, possibly marriages ending, you know, the person they thought they were going to make this journey through life with. And now they have to figure out how to do that in a different way. And I know that there's a lot of emphasis put on what the family loses. But I think we all know in today's world that many of us have a family that we were born into or that we gave birth to. But we also many of us have a family that we choose. And that family is no less important. And in some ways, it can be more important at times. So today, it is my absolute honor to have this conversation with Nick and be able to share it with you. I think that mothers and fathers and other friends can take so much from this conversation to possibly help them somehow in their journey as well. So in order to just quell the anticipation, we're going to go ahead at this point and just dive right into the conversation and welcome Nick. I'm so, so honored that you're willing to come on and uh, talk about your loss about our loss of Alex. And I'm going to start with asking you to share your version of your lost story of your best friend, Alex.
1: Yeah. So I guess I should start with leading up to like whenever I found out about Alex dying. And whenever I explain the story, it's kind of weird because you hear people kind of talk about this type of thing, but to actually experience it, it was very strange. Leading up to the weeks before Alex's death, we were making plans for my 21st birthday and he was going to come home, and my birthday is in September. And throughout that summer, him and I had conversations about him not doing well, which wasn't a like, it was a topic t- a topic that we had often in our friendship. It was very, we were both very vulnerable to each other. We were both very open with our mental health. And it's always been that way since we met when we were in the seventh grade. We've always had that very strong bond that he'd call me at 2 a.m. And I would always answer and hear him out. And I guess the day that he died, that night before, my son, I think, was around four months old or so. And I was putting him to bed. And for some reason, I, I was missing out. Like, but it was like really late, and so I didn't want to like disturb him. But I was like, in the morning, like I'm going to talk to Alex because I feel like something something feels off. And then the next morning, I got a message from Lauren on Facebook Messenger saying you needed to call me, or she was like, "What's your number? You need to call me." And instantly, my heart, in a way, just knew that Alex was dead. And I don't know how I can explain that feeling, but Lauren called, and I could. You know, hear that she was upset in her voice. And I believe you guys were both in the car um, driving to Kirksville at this time. And she was like, I have something to tell you. And I immediately said, Alex is dead, isn't he? And she said, yeah. And I was holding my son. And this is when I lived in California. And I just remember immediately dropping to the floor. And my husband, Ryan, I had no idea like what was going on because I couldn't even talk. Like, I was just an absolute mess. And Whenever I calmed down, I told him and then I immediately called my mom because my mom adored Alex. Alex is always at her house. And even to this day, my mom still talks about Alex and about the things like like how much it impacted her herself, like seeing me and the relationship that Alex and I had and seeing where it is now. And it was even harder for me at that time because Alex died. And the next day, my husband left for two months to go to a corpse for a training in North Carolina. And we lived in California. And then I had to get a last minute flight out to Kansas City for Alex's celebration of life. God, I was also not miss that the world. And so I I had a newborn. Ryan left, and then you know I was dealing with Alex's death, and a lot of that was just all like piling on me at once. And I think I didn't feel a sense of relief until I was around community people at Alex's celebration, where we all were just able to kind of mourn him and just all be connected in that way. I felt. Like incredibly safe just because I could see how much Alex impacted other people because he was just such an amazing and kind soul. And there isn't a day that goes by that Alex still isn't relevant in my life. Like I talk about Alex constantly, especially with some of my other friends um, that have mental health issues or whatever. There's actually a girl I met and she has the exact same birthday as Alex. And I was like, listen, you kind of have like high expectations here. So (laughs) he's always showing up in some way. He's always finding his way. But even throughout that, like Alex with my own mental health with, because I've, haven't always been perfect. And I think back to the effect, because it's really hard to see the effect that you would have if, if you were gone whenever, because you were just so deep in that mental space. And then you know, I think about Alex, I think about the celebration of life he had and the amount of people of the lives that he impacted with just how sweet the soul he was. And then I think back to my mental health, I'm like, I can get through this. Alex would know that I was stronger than this. He would want me to succeed and be better and take the baby steps. And so that's what I've done. So anytime I kind of gravitate back into kind of like a slump or where I get down on myself, I, I just think about Alex. and I think about how can I change myself to be an impact for others, for other people that are in this situation I am in now and kind of like using his voice to not only help myself, but to help others. There was a teenager that I used to work with and she struggled a lot. And I, when I just, we sat in my truck, um, cause I drove her home at night because she didn't have the best family life. And I explained to her, now uh, the story and like how many people's lives he impacted and that she doesn't realize like how many people love her too. And it's really hard to see that because you don't feel like you can accept that love. And I think that was when I actually got through her was just talking about Alex and sharing with him all the things. And then going throughout my life now and having two kids and I've moved all over across the world now and I've done many things in my life and I constantly resort back to how much I wish I could talk about Alex about things like things from my accomplishments. So of course, my, my biggest struggles are Issues I have with my mom or issues I've had with my dad whenever I had issues with my dad because I know that you relate to it because he was the one person. I don't know if you know this, but we just sneak out all the time at 2 a.m. and get Taco Bell and just eat food together. Like that was always my person. You know how
0: sometimes you people, moms may say it's too soon. Well, it's not too soon. Y'all have been out of high school plenty long enough <laughs> for me to know that, but to to know that's not a all of that's not a complete shock to me. <laughs> I, I, yes. I I promise you I didn't know every time my kids were not at home, but I, I knew full well that there was time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. We got to talk about often at 2 a.m. And that was just kind of our relationship. Like it was, it didn't matter. And even after we graduated and he was in uh, college and I was living in California or wherever, he would hit me up to him and be like, hey, like, do you have some time? Like, can we talk about this? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And so i just taken even just the little things or my Facebook memories pop up of things that you would write on our, each other's wall in high school and things that he would say about me. And even though that was so long and I was a completely different person than I was then, like that it still just means so much. I me mean, to hear the words and hear how proud of me he was then and how much I know he would be proud of me now.
0: How much he is proud of you now because he's yeah. still with, he's still with us. It just is. It's just so hard. Like you said, cause he's showing up. He's always showing up. That's not an accident. That's him showing up. And I do feel like he's gotten a bit louder in the last few years, there was kind of a loudness in the beginning. And I kind of think I understand that the best that I can. I mean, nobody in this life truly understands energetically what happens to us afterwards. But I have a belief that there, he's still here in energy somewhere in a spirit sense. And he's still undeniably, I have things happen that couldn't be anything but Alex. I mean, there's things yeah. that you want to be Alex that might or might not be that if it makes you feel good, great, I can call it a sign, but there's been some unmistakable signs. And it seems like some of them are so loud that you're like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> And and I'm sure sure he does. He interacts with everybody a little bit different because they're going to do that a little bit like they would have in life. Mm -hmm. He doesn't probably show me the same signs that he's going to show his brother or you, but it's undoubtedly Alex at times for sure. And he he was always showing up in unexpected ways in life. So why would we expect that he's going to (laughs) show up any different now? To hear you say that you knew something was off. I've used that almost exact phrase about my morning. I don't know how many times when I tell what's my story of that morning. And I I just always tell people GR was in the bedroom. He was in the master bath cleaning. We had been doing some Sunday morning cleaning. And I just kept laying back down. And I remember the last time I laid down and I was just sitting there talking to him, he said, Are you sick? Like he's starting to question because I would just be like, Laying back on the bed and not really going back to bed, but just laying back down. And I said, no, I don't feel sick. I said, but something just is off. And it was the last time when I said that, when those words came out of my mouth, it was within five minutes that Parker walked into the room and and told me because he had gotten a phone call. I found out from Parker. Oh, I had no idea about that. Yeah, Parker had gone to go rock climbing at the at Northtown, I think, and at the the Y or whatever, and had gotten down to where the old Kmart parking lot was. And I know it's funny we even call that Kmart because I don't remember it ever being a Kmart, but you know what parking <laughs> lot I'm yeah. talking about. And he'd gotten that far and pulled into that parking lot because Justin and Tommy had called him twice back to back. And the first time they didn't even tell him it was because they were so shaky. And then they called back like right afterwards, and Justin had to tell him because Tommy couldn't. And I guess he said he sat in that parking lot. He said it felt like he sat there for a long time, but I know he didn't because I know the time frame. And so that it was probably five seconds that felt like five minutes, but he somehow yeah. made it back to the house and had to walk in the bedroom and tell me because what was going on was yes, eventually the police would have made it to my door, but Kirksville had to call. First of all, they had to connect to the biological parents are, which when there's divorces, that can be complicated. So they were in the process of apparently doing that and trying to contact Gladstone and Olathe, where the biological parents live. And in the meantime, the people in Kirksville, the friends were afraid that social media was going to get out and that people would find out that way first. So the panic was for Parker was he was trying to get home before mom saw something on social media. And the separate pain that exists for looking back and realizing that Parker had to do that.
1: Yeah, that, that is a lot. I had no idea.
0: And like you, I don't, there's a whole lot that I don't remember about the days, the minutes, days, and weeks that followed. There's parts I remember clear as a bell and parts that are completely gone, I have no memory of. And I do remember dropping to my knees in front of Parker, because there was a look, he was looking at me and he said, mom, I have to tell you something when he walked in and I can't even describe the look on his face, Nick. It wasn't something i had ever seen before, but I immediately knew something was really wrong. Like I bet my brain's going, it didn't go to Alex. It was Parker standing in front of me. And I'm thinking he's obviously not been at a car accident that's affected him. But the first question I asked was, were you in an accident? Cause I thought, oh my God, did he hit somebody? Cause the look on his face. It yeah. wasn't just like, and I I walked over in front of him and looked at him and said, I remember grabbing his shoulders and I said, what's wrong? And he just looked at me and said, mom, Alex is dead. He hung himself. And that still kind of rings in this hollow place that doesn't feel real. <laughs> And then you don't even know the thing. Like, I don't even remember. I think Lauren probably made other phone calls in the car and we had a two and a half hour drive. And I feel like it took us about 30 minutes to get out of the house. And GR said, Melissa, it took us about 10 minutes to get out of the house because we had to call and have Lauren and David come over and it, it just, yeah, it was surreal. And then, like you said, once we get through that week and everything, and we get to the place where it's the celebration of his life and the amount of love that we were supported by and the amount of people that we saw. I mean, it, it didn't surprise me that Alex impacted that many people, but yet it did. And all I could think was he had, he knew how loved he was, but yet there that's, I guess what I want you to try to speak to next, if you can, because you talked about something and again, I don't want you to break a confidence, even with my son who's no longer here. But at the same time, I want you to talk about what I feel like you, you can talk about and what Alex would want you to talk about that would benefit somebody that's listening, either trying to cope with this or somebody that's listening that is either suicidal or has somebody suicidal in their life, is you said that Alex and you, and I know that this is very true, we're, the, we're two of them had the relationship where... You could confide the darkness and the as well as the light to each other. You could call at two a m and be down, and you were open with your mental health struggles and things like that, probably to the point that there's probably way more of parts of my son that on that level you knew than lots of other people, including I'm not naive to think that parents know their kids on that level when they're that age because they don't. I didn't tell my parents a whole lot when I was that age, and so. When you said you kind of knew when, when Lauren reached out, do you feel like he had ever spent any great amount of time, truly suicidal? Or do you feel like, I mean, you knew because you, you'd had the feeling and because Lauren was calling so upset, but I guess without asking the direct question, maybe I should just be asking it. Do you feel like you had any indication that Alex could be suic- truly suicidal. It's different than thinking someone's down and out because I feel like almost everybody else, well, for the, I mean, everybody else has said they just didn't see it coming with him. And so there is a part of me that's treading lightly into this because I have to be willing to hear it myself, Nick. Do you feel the same as a, as a lot of people do that it just came out of nowhere? or Do you feel like you had seen this as a possibility, and this obviously can lead to a bigger conversation of whether a lot of times we truly know what signs are or not, and whether we should know more about signs of people truly being suicidal. And is that something that had ever been something that you guys discussed? So the
1: question of if I was surprised or not, just because he was so happy and lucky, I feel like I'm on the fence about it because he was so happy and he constantly gave so much more of himself to everyone else than he ever gave to himself. And even as when we were kids, like when we were kids, I don't think it ever really got to the point of being suicidal, but I knew how depressed he was even, you know, when we were in middle school and we would talk or, you know, things would be going on with his dad or, you know, just random life aspects that happened throughout us growing up and getting into high school and things. But I do think whenever he got to college, it, definitely turned a little bit more and we had conversations like I was aware of him seeing his therapist and the medication that he was on. We had talked about that and he had talked to me about, you know, saying how unhappy he was and feeling like he couldn't get out of it. And so him and I did kind of have conversations like that being like, Hey, like, I love you so much. Like I, you know, you, to this day, you are still one of the Greatest people I've ever met in my life. I still say that firmly. Like anytime I talk about Alex, I just talk about, he was a butthead sometimes, don't get me wrong. That man was was so so (laughs) flippy floppy, but he was still just incredible. And he, and I saw how much he gave to everyone else because I saw how much he would give me, even if I wasn't in a place to that because I was, you know, in the dark and broody or whatever. But there was some conversations that we had leading up to that, that I guess even I saw it as a sign and we talked about it and I let him know. And I think I talked to Presley about it too, which Presley is one of our other friends Mm -hmm. um, from middle school. And Presley and I were very close still. And I talked to Presley about it. And I think even though it was signs, he still reassured me that he was okay. How Trent was around him feeling like he was lost. But I think that even the signs that I saw, I still never thought to the ex- extent. So I think that's why I still am on the fence of whenever people say he was just so happy and that he knew how loved he was that he wouldn't do it, which is, I guess, kind of what I saw because he did know, especially that vacation that you guys took. And we had talked about how he wanted to move home and things like that. And every time that he was at college and I would come home to Kent City for a visit or whatever, and we'd talk about that and you know him trying to figure out his life. I just think that he... There were so many revolving parts in his life that he was just in a way it's kind of a tailspin and Uh in my own experience with my mental health and depression, like I have two, you know, beautiful kids. And sometimes I feel like failing them, which I know that I'm not. And I know that my kids absolutely adore me in every way, but whenever you get into that mode, like it's so hard to fight yourself out of it. And like the little things that you have to remind yourself to do and Unfortunately, it's a lot of internal work that you have to realize, hey, you were declining and it's fast. And it really could just be one fleeting moment of it getting too deep in your head. And then that could
0: be it, which is honestly... I'm sure on a different level as a mother and a friend, that's exactly my take on... I'm just talking about if I talk about his last eight months, his last... From the that spring semester starting in January... To when somewhere around March, he told me for the first time that he was going to the counseling center, that he was struggling, that he just couldn't, like you said, couldn't quit feeling sad and didn't know why. So he was going to go talk to the counselor. And in that conversation, and I, I try not to live in a world of regrets, but in that conversation, one of those initial conversations, when he talked to me about that and told me about the medication, at some point he said he would thought about hurting himself once And of course I started crying and I said, do you need to come home? Um, We'll come get you now, whatever we need to do. And because he was Alex and he worried so much more about other people. And I always tried really hard not to bother him and not to do things. And moms don't always succeed, but he did have so much grief from dad's And things like that, that I would try not to be the pressure. And so I started, I turned the pressure up a little bit and I said, if you're not okay, you know, I want you to come home. And I'd never heard him say anything that to me. And that was the only time I've ever heard him say anything like that. And I will tell you that other than I was very serious when I would say, are you sure you're okay? And I would ask him that throughout the spring several times and went before he went back to Kirksville at the end of July and him and I went to lunch by ourselves and I sat him down and I said, I just need to know. I said, you've been home for five weeks and you seem like you're good. Not that that meant I thought life was perfect, but I felt like he was doing better and he seemed to be normal, whatever that looks like, right? Whatever that means. That's such a shaky word, but he seemed to be Alex. And I said, you seem fine, but that doesn't mean you are. And I knew how much, I knew how much he was struggling and he had been open with us, especially during that time home and having the road trip that we all had together with Parker and him. And he had talked a lot about the struggles he was having with his classmates and his fraternity. And because he was so loyal, he was having a hard time. I think really, I knew he didn't want to be there anymore, Nick but I also knew that he didn't, he didn't want to quit. I don't know what other word Mm -hmm. to use besides he felt like he was bailing or quitting. And so it was that lunch that I looked at him and said, I just want you to know that in life, sometimes we come to a crossroads and we have to make a, a choice just to go down a different path. It's not about quitting the one you're on. It's about taking one that fits you better. And there was something in that conversation that I saw click in his head and it clicked so much, just as his mom after he left. And when he left to go back to Kirksville, it was him it was him and his dog Harper, and I packing his car. Nobody else was around. Parker was somewhere, G r was at work. And i kind of recapped that conversation, and he' had, and I started to cry, and not because I thought he wasn't okay, but because he was leaving. <laughs> he had been home for five weeks, and I wasn't ready for him to be gone. and And when I tell this story, I always say, and he looked at me and said, mom, why are you crying? I'll be home in two weeks to see Nick and meet her baby Jay. So stop crying. I'm not going to be gone very long. It was Alex being all matter of fact, like, what are you crying for? <laughs> this is crazy. Like I'm coming home. Cause people talk about signs, like, were they not thinking towards the future? Were they giving their things away? All those things, which those are real signs. There are people that set a plan in motion and they do start putting their things in order, their house in order, so to speak. Alex wasn't putting his house in order. Alex was coming home to see you and to meet the baby. And it was your birthday and mom quit crying. I'm going to be home in a week and a half. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, you I'm still, I'm, I said, I, I said, I'm used to seeing your face. You've been here for that was the longest. He had been home since he went to college and he didn't live at home anymore. So it was a treat and he was just so nonchalant about it. And eight days later, he was gone and, I, when he left that day, I remember when GR did come home, I said like definitively, and I didn't do that very often because Alex didn't like anybody else to (laughs) tell him what to do. Like he was going to make his own decision by God. He was that way from a little kid. Like he had to have the idea. So having that conversation and telling him I, what I said was, I know Parker lives downstairs, but he's about to go to college and he has to live at college because he got, he was on the baseball team. So even though he was going to Jewel, Parker had to move out and move into the dorm. I said, you have a place at home. You can move into the downstairs, have your own apartment, have your own entrance come and go. Parker won't mind you taking over his room. He can come home and stay with you on the weekends down there. And you guys can just have your, and I saw, and I said, and then we can look at whether you want to go to, you know, DMKC, whether you want to do something else work, but you can make another choice. And I didn't say you should do this. What I said, I gave him some ideas and he looked yeah. at me and I could see him. And he goes, He goes, I could go to another school. He goes, You're right. I could do. And I just knew that he, but I wasn't going to push it any farther because it was Alex. But I said to GR that night, I said, I, Alex is coming home. And he goes, What do you mean? And I said, Well, I just know he's going to. I go, In my heart, I know that he's going to think about this. And I said, I don't know if it'll be before school starts. I didn't necessarily think it would be right away. I thought that was possible, but I thought knowing Alex, he's kind of hard-headed. It could take him until later in the semester or even end of semester to decide, okay, you're right. I want to go ahead and come home, but I knew he'd be on his terms and God damn it. I know that Alex didn't want to die. He wanted how he was feeling to stop. And I honestly believe that we way under prepare ourselves and especially young people for transitions. And Alex had been home and got back into a safe space and he had reconnected with lots of people. And he was looking forward to seeing you. And he kind of felt like he was back in that space where he wasn't in the nonsense of college and all that. And I think the slingshot effect of going back. And there were several confrontations that happened that week and things that were part of what he was dealing with there. And then you take that and factor in Brandon. And I think it just all spiraled into a moment. absolutely agree. And I think it's important that people hear, and that's, I'd love to hear you talk about some of this. I, I think it's so hard for us still sometimes. If I could go back, I would have made sure I talked to him about whether he was suicidal, that whether I talked to him about the fact that you need to know that your presence here on the planet matters and all of these things can get better. And that if you're feeling like you don't want to be here, if you're feeling like you're making a plan or you're even considering. To actually talk to people about that and having heard that you have utilized the tragedy that's been Alex's loss in your life by suicide, I'm curious of whether you go there with people because I think there's a lot of power in going there and saying, this is how this loss impacted me. This is how this person's choice to end their life impacted me. Yeah, so I think that
1: it's just as humans and as a society in general, it's so hard to have those uncomfortable type of conversations sometimes, especially when it is with a loved one that you care so deeply about and you really can't even fathom the loss of that person, you know, whether it is my best friend or your son or whatever. And I feel like your instant, whether it's maternal instinct or just as a human being, you freak out a little bit because it's so hard to. Especially if you haven't experienced that type of thing before, like where you're in that mindset to wrap your mind around, well, what can I do to do this? And, you know, there always isn't the right steps in the moment to be like, hey, don't say that. That's usually like the, uh, the immediate reaction most people give. That's the immediate reaction I've given to people in the past, to be honest with you, that I've had people reach out to me and talk about it. And even after Axe's death, I actually have had friends that said, Hey, I know that you went through this with Alex and I don't have anyone else to talk to. And because they knew Alex and our relationship, they came to me. And some of these people were people I've known for a long time that I was close with and other were kind of just an acquaintance. And I think each time that I have that conversation, I do grow and I learn the things to say because there isn't an end all be all type of phrase or sentence that you can word things to make it just click in someone's head that you are loved, like your life matters. But each time I think it's just like you said with transitions, like with myself, um, we haven't gotten into this yet, but like with me coming out, um, I was married to a man for eight years. I have two beautiful kids and I like came out as a later in life lesbian. And even with those transitions with myself and having to figure out a divorce, my kid has special needs and trying to figure out what he needs and you know, I give up my career in the military to be a stay-at-home mom and not to figure out another career. Like a lot of that just dumps on you, and you feel so trapped, even though how loved you are. And, you know, like my kids are up my butt every single day of my entire life. And I know how much they love me, but sometimes, like, I still get overwhelmed and I just feel like I'm failing them, even though I know how much they love me. And I feel not to speak for Alex, but Alex knows, like, whenever you explain the way that, you know, your conversations with, I think that you did go about it in a really good way. Like Alex 1000% knew how much you loved him and he knows how much Samuel loved him and how much his friends loved him. I just think that he was so overwhelmed with him. And I had that same mentality in a way that we had to be the ones to do it. Like I, I need to be the one to take my step in this career and do this, or I need to be the one to make the arrangements to, Progress my life and not have someone do it for me because I feel like both him and I are in that same aspect of we didn't like what felt like a handout, even though it wasn't, it was just someone caring. Right. But then you're always in the cross between wanting to care so much and give them everything, but at the same time, not overwhelming them. And then I feel like it's really hard to find that happy medium between that. And I think that he just, it got so much. And that's why I think even though he knew that I was a safe space, even in that moment, and I think about that all the time about he got um, so sunk down that he didn't reach out to call me because he knew that I had a newborn. He didn't want to bother me, even though he knows that I right. obviously would have answered you know, no matter what any time of the day. But I've also felt like that where I can't reach out to like someone because they have three kids and they're an overnight nurse or a traveling nurse. And I can't reach out to them because I don't want to burden them with myself.
0: That's the detriment to the personality type that Alex was, which I encounter over and over again in people that have lost their loved one to suicide. I encounter personality types a lot like Alex regularly, the people that don't want to be a bird and the people that are the ones that want to be there for somebody else, the independent thinkers that just want to do it on their own. And I, I like you said, I know for a fact that he, he knows you would have been there, but you're right. He would have thought it's 1:30 in the morning. He would have thought the same thing about me even though I would have answered. I've slept by with my phone by the bed ever since my kids were teenagers and able to go out of the house because I want them to call me no matter what, at any time, no judgment, whatever they need, and they all know that. But he would have thought it's 1:30 in the morning. The person he did try to call, Philip He knew he was getting off a train and that's why he tried to call him. He knew that his job had him at a place that he could call him. And Philip and I don't, we have no reason to regularly talk or anything like that. But, and I haven't gone there with him, but, you know, part of me, maybe it's been long enough that at some point I should, I hope that he has learned to live with what feels if I were him would be really hard to know that Alex did try to call and that phone call might have made a difference and I don't actually have any misgivings and Philip and I did talk about it that week some I think and but because I'm not the person that he tried to call last I don't shoulder that that grief I don't want to use the word guilt because it's not Philip's fault it's not anybody's um, fault they're not in their sound mind when that ha- when they make that moment that decision. And, you know, there's just so much about life that's so fragile, which is why, you know, I now go back to that place of, we have to live as full of a life as we possibly can today, because we just don't know how long we have. Right. And I, I look at that people think so many people think suicide is different. I tell people because they're like, well, that person wasn't mentally ill. Our mental health doesn't necessarily, there's chronic and acute illness of the body and of the mind. We can have a cold that lasts for a couple of days and we accept that just fine. So why can't we accept that at times for reasons that we don't understand because our mind is so complex that we are not feeling well. And, and that might carry through a few days and it might be something that we deal on and off with throughout our life. And obviously there's more advanced diagnosable illnesses, schizophrenia, things like that. That you do have to take medication for. But by and large, a lot of people deal with unbelievable amounts of stress and anxiety, which takes a toll on our health, mental and physical. And a lot of times that means in and out depression and things like that throughout life, which I think is kind of what Alex dealt with his personality and his big heart and He just, it became too much in that moment. I would, and I realized we have two places that I would like to try to get to without making this too giant of a conversation for people (laughs) to take in because we could just go on and on. I know that the age that the boys are now, which would be, Jace will be six this summer. April. Yeah. I, I mean, it's when I was thinking about Jace's age, I immediately did that thing that I always do and went, oh, he was I, I think about things in terms of Alex, what was it before or after? And then I went, Oh, yeah. and, and I, I realized that it was sometime in that spring Cause I knew that he was only a few months old when Alex was wanting to come back and, you know, meet him for your birthday. And did you have clay two years late? 20 months. Okay. We try to make two years. It wasn't quite there. <laughs> Not quite. So you've got an almost six year old and an almost four year old.
1: Oh, uh, he's four now. He turned four in he's December. Four. Just
0: turned four. Okay, so so I realized that this part. Well, this is why I'm doing this part now because this is easier and quicker. The kids and Jace is on the autism spectrum, correct? Yes. Clay is not. He
1: hasn't been diagnosed yet. He has some like learned behaviors, but he's just a very bright and bubbly soul. We're sort of, kind of letting him figure himself out. Exactly. And get him like some speech therapy, but he's still trying to figure his thing out right now.
0: So. The reason I bring up the age of the kids is because I realize this conversation isn't as relevant today as maybe if you and I were talking four or five years from now, and it might be differently relevant for Jace depending on how he develops. But in today's world, obviously we're looking at suicide being something that kids now grow up knowing about. They're going to whether we want them to or not. Your kids are pretty young to have any talk that really involves suicide per se, and it would be something that would be harder. You you wear a tattoo that has Alex's name and handwriting on your wrist. Your children see your wrist all the time. I'm sure you've talked about Alex. I know you've had them to the cemetery before in Kansas City. How do you even talk to your young children about death? And this is Im- important because there are parents listening, young parents like you that have lost a brother or a friend that don't know whether they can even talk about. And if you haven't, there's no judgment. That's why I'm just wanting to know whether you have, how do you talk about it? I'm sure suicide hasn't factored in, but my question about that is, have you even started to think about. Whether that's something at some point, how you even will start incorporating or are you going to tackle that when you get there? I think as of right now,
1: just because um, my oldest son, Jace, is currently nonverbal and Clay, he's like half verbal, but it's he's more light and fun and doesn't really know the harder things of life except for me telling him no to not having any more milk. And it's a meltdown. Right. But my youngest son, Clay, I came up to you when I was pregnant with him and I asked you if I would be able to name Clay after Alex and give Clay the middle name Alexander. And you told me that you were fine with that. And
0: I was more than fine
1: with that. But the thing is with that is that the name fits him so well. And I don't know if it's Alex, but Alex also obviously never met Jace. But, and so he didn't ever meet Clay, obviously, because Clay was born after Alex died. But Clay does so many things that remind me of Alex Mm -hmm. constantly, like, constantly. That kid. He is just like the bubbliest, happy soul, and he loves to dance. He loves to sing. He will look at me if we're watching Moana. I have to sing with him, and he's just (laughs) this goofy little child that just makes you smile all the time. And there's so many aspects of him that I see... With Alex and I didn't know obviously Alex whenever he was around the age of my kids are but even as an adult like the, the goofy aspects that Alex carried into adulthood and a lot of being it was a teenager when he was little yes. it
0: was just he would sit in the room and out of nowhere as a as like a kid that would be the age Clay is now he would either start screaming like joyful screaming or outbursts or sc- uh, singing at the top of his lungs randomly. And when people would be at the house, sometimes if they didn't know Alex and they would hear it, they would look at me like, is something wrong? And I'm like, no, that's just Alex. <laughs> you know, I relate really to that a lot. Yeah. I see
1: that so much with Clay. And then they, I have a lot of tattoos now and they do take the time. Like they will trace Alex's name on my wrist with their fingers. And sometimes they'll just do something. Like we took... Jace to a Royals game, I think for spring training, whenever he was around one or so. And I just looked at him like, I'll hold them constantly, you know, like whenever you just have that mom moment when you're holding your kid and you just tell them how much you love them. And then there's times that they'll be doing something that reminds me of Alex, or that it would be something that I would share with Alex. And I would just like hold them and be like, Alex would love to know about this moment right now, especially anything like relating to baseball or like when Clay is watching a movie right now, we're on a minions kick but they they sing a lot at the end of minions and clay does this whole like breakdown dance and i just tell him like alex would love so much if i were able to like just facetime him or something and just show him just to put a smile on his face because i know how much he would appreciate it and there's so many things that i think throughout my life that i wanted to share with alex that i know yes conversation about the kids but since they aren't really at that age yet i think right. that will be because i try to be a very genuine type of individual, but I think that will be a conversation that we open up because I feel, especially in today's age, a lot of parents, they have the hard conversations with their kids. Cause you know, I feel as a kid growing up in my generation, there were a lot of things that we already knew about, but adults never confirmed. So we never knew how to navigate that. And I guess, and I think that's why in a way, especially with, I feel like my peer group and since I'm 26 now, Alex died when we were 21 and just the, evolution of discussions about mental health has changed so much in that time span because a lot of, I mean, even you'll see on TikTok or in my friend groups and people kind of like joke about their mental health and like, it's not a scary word to say, Hey, I'm depressed because of the amount of people that are on medication and that um, are going to therapy. But, you know, it's like a joke to say, Hey, like I went on a grippy sock trip and it's kind of like a coping mechanism for people. And I think now that it's such a subject that, we aren't necessarily afraid to talk about. It's something that we need to learn how to actually have that conversation and having the substance that it needs to make something click and to just kind of grow and move forward with that and to keep having that conversation. But instead of turning it into a humor and a joke and a way to cope with your trauma, to actually use that type of conversation to make an impact with people and the people that really need it.
0: Well, and some of what you're saying has come with maturity, but this probably won't surprise you to hear based on what you just said, because when Parker was still in, when Alex died, Parker was almost, he was just getting ready to go to college. I took him to to college a week after the memorial service and Which I still look at that and go, I don't know how he did that. I mean, that was his choice. I didn't, we didn't, I didn't even know what to do. I literally looked at him and said, I have I don't know what to even tell you. So that next couple of years, I mean, a lot of his friends, some of them went to college close by. A lot of them were still around. They either went to college or they were working or whatever, and they all would still see each other a lot, even on the weekends, even in college. So it wasn't that much different than high school for the first couple of years of college with Parker's group of friends. And he came to me multiple times during that first year or two with his friends being extremely, in my opinion, inappropriate about the way they would joke about suicide or being suicidal or being wanting to off yourself or different things. And Parker not being as I'll say this because you know what I mean by it, rudely outspoken as Alex could be.
1: <laughs> Alex would
0: be rudely outspoken, even if he even if it wasn't maybe an appropriate moment. Parker is more reserved about that and doesn't want to be um rocking the boat, right? Alex didn't want to be a burden, but he didn't mind rocking the boat, right? There's a difference. Yep. And so he would say, Mom, I just don't understand. And these would be like his very best friends. And I was just floored. I'm thinking. How in the world? And I think now it's some sort of what I'm hearing you say. There's some sort of a generational thing that I'm sure they're probably different about it now. Like now, Parker lives in a house with two other roommates, they're grown 24 year old men. But I was in there recently and when we went back to Kansas City for Christmas, and they have a photo of Alex hanging pretty prominently in the house. So it was just weird to realize that he was such a presence, even then that these young men had chosen to put this photo. I mean, don't get me wrong. It wasn't framed professionally or anything. It was stuck (laughs) on, it was stuck on a corkboard, but it was a full size photo. And I just was, I thought to myself, I bet that they don't joke like that anymore. I bet they're. I bet it's progressed into, I guess what that for me, it found it appalling. I thought, but I think what it was almost a coping mechanism because some of the friends that would say that were struggling themselves. And that's what I would say to Parker is how could so-and-so say that to you when I know they've had struggles themselves, they've come to you and said they're struggling, or you guys will talk about struggling. So how is it that, and he said, mom, I just don't know. And I would empower him to try to say something to him of guys, you know what, if we're struggling, we need to be able to talk to each other, but joking about it. Hits me in the heart every time. Yeah. I, I think it's
1: a, definitely a form of like projection in a way with it. And I think that's also just a conversation with whenever, you know, you do talk about suicide. Unfortunately, nowadays, it's, you know, someone does make a joke and then you're, hey, like this impacted me, even if it's someone you do know or something you don't. It's suicide has impacted so many people now that you really can't go you know, to the grocery store, and not talk to someone that wasn't affected by suicide.
0: Which means it can no longer be a joking matter. It just can't. absolutely Socially, we have to be responsible enough to say, and it's hard sometimes, but that's what I want to empower people to do, to be able to say, listen, we can joke about a whole lot of things and I'm not upset, but could we not? That's not something to joke about. It's impacted my life and it's a very serious matter. And I think a lot of times the people that we've lost, if they could come back and tell us. Part of what they don't even realize from a subconscious level is the fact that we have been way too flippant about mental health and suicide for way too many years is also one of those stigmatizing things that keeps people from talking about it when they might otherwise talk about it, because it's a joking matter, right? You don't want to tell your buddies that you're suicidal, so you might joke about it and test the waters, and mm-hmm. when they joke back and it's all this big joke, then you're like, Well, I'm not gonna be the butt of everybody's joke. I'm not gonna tell them that because they're just gonna joke or they're gonna tell me buck it up or whatever. Yeah, we've got to get us to a place that we are willing to say, listen, we can joke all day long, but we're not gonna joke about certain things, you know. But I I would love to have you talk a little bit about your brave journey. I don't know what to call it. And I don't want it to be condescending in any way, Nick, because I love you so much. And I'm so proud of you. But coming out as an adult as a lesbian woman, is that am I correct? I can you're, you're my kid enough that I hope my listeners understand I can look at her and say, am I using the right terminology? Please tell me I am if I'm not tell me how you identify but that's you have come out in life now as a married woman who's divorcing, but choosing to keep your family intact. And because of that, you have found yourself accidentally in the spotlight, which means you've had, I'm sure some of your own mental health pressures to deal with. But also the fact that as someone who is a lot in the spotlight now that you have, I've been reminded of this too, that when we have a public platform. There's a responsibility that goes along with it. And I know how caring you are. I know you'd like to speak a little bit to the fact that the LGBTQ plus community, there is a lot of mental health struggles in there and that, that suicide is something that touches that community on a regular basis. And I'd like you to be able to talk a little bit about whatever you want to, but also to be able to you know, talk a little bit about your any message of hope that you could give people that are struggling.
1: Yeah, so I think I just want to start with... <laughs> I'm really
0: sorry if it's too much. <laughs> no,
1: you're fine. I'm just going to try and digest it so I can break it out. My initial thing that I want to say is kind of just piggybacking off of what we were just discussing about um, generally, you know, talking about joking about saying, um, you know, suicide or wanting to kill yourself and um, using that as a joke. And back then, kind of like bringing it to the conversation we're having now about people saying that's gay. Like the generational turn of the years of that's not typically depending on who you surround yourself with. That's not something like whenever I was a kid, you would just like something be like, Oh, that's gay. And it'd just be like the dumbest thing that, but nowadays that isn't something because we have on our society. So that is something that I hope with mental health and talking about suicide. Now that conversation is something that is coming to light. I hope that we just kind of do what we kind of did not to compare it, but in a way just to how much more I think it's, I think it's a move. great
0: comparison. i mean. I would have never thought that. And that's a huge impactful way to put it. So keep going. I really, because you're right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of whenever you were saying that, I kind of had that thought because I knew that we were, this is something we also discussed about, was just growing a society and seeing that we can get to this point. But with my own, things. Being in the spotlight, I did blow up on TikTok by accident. I just, my Y'all, husband and I- Y'all, she's a
0: TikTok star, just
1: saying. <laughs> you know, just share my life. And to me, it was just a joke is Ryan and I, any marriage is not cupcakes and rainbows. There's so many uncomfortable and hard conversations, but especially with, you know, one of the the parties coming out and being like, hey, I actually feel this way. And especially whenever, it all it wasn't a surprise necessarily because him and I are very open in that aspect. And I'm very thankful to have- Um, him as my partner is someone that was not judgmental and he pushed me to be myself, but I know for a lot of other people that are in these circumstances, it's really hard to find that community and you're so lost and trying to navigate everything from being gay, but also navigating away from my little home life that I've had with my husband, my two kids for the past eight years and seeing, Hey, eventually we are going to divorce We're we're trying to co-parent the best we can, because it's not the kids they didn't ask to be here. Um, Just trying to make sure that they have the best, healthy, stable possible home because Ryan and I also both come from broken homes. You know, we, and I hate that term, but you know, we both didn't have dads prevalent in our lives. But then being in the spotlight, sometimes I do have to check myself because I tell myself, hey, don't get too wrapped up into this because, you know, you know that these people that make any sorts of comments about you because social media, especially when your videos are in the millions, then you're, you know, like they have the TikTok algorithm, your video is getting pushed into all algorithms. Like it doesn't matter if they, cause like your hashtag kind of define like where your video is going to go and like the audience that sees it. But when it blows up to be so big, you're going to be all over. It. And so all types of people and different types of mindsets and different types of beliefs are going to see your videos or whatever. And they're going to comment, you know, whatever they feel like they need to comment with the world because freedom of speech and everything it's, it's kind of, i have to check myself down signs. And, um, I have very, I guess like dark humor and Like I am my own target audience. Like I'll make fun of myself first before anyone else gets the chance to. And so, you know, someone will say something back to me and I'll just be a smart ass in the comments back to him because I don't let it affect me. But then if I do get too wrapped into it, it absolutely affects my mental health, especially, you know, people projecting what they think or what they know based on a seven second clip or something like that. And then, Also trying to navigate, like our story got published in the New York post. I did not know I was going to the New York post and they used a picture of my husband in uniform from when we got married. And then his command like freaked out about it because they thought that he was, you know, out, we were, instead of we were out on the town, you know, doing whatever, which is not the case at all. Like we were very family oriented, focused on our life that we have. Like that's, it's kind of an outlier thing, but that really affected his mental health in a way too, because not only is it just me coming out now, he is affiliated with me knowing that, hey, my wife is gay and I have this you know, higher up job in the military and his peers that see him that way in his command. And so we had to have a couple of hard conversations about that because just because I'm coming out, his life is also affected. And he also has his own mental health struggles that come from things that I have going on. And so that was hard to navigate because we were both kind of like treading lightly to see how to have this conversation without, you know, getting too emotional and also making sure each party is heard. But there's also a good balance that comes out of it on what our expectations are or how do we work through this and making sure that we're both happy in a way. So... That's been a lot.
0: I was gonna say, I, you unpacked so much in in such a succinct way that I'm I'm so proud of you for being able to say all that. Did, now that said, that doesn't mean I think that it's easy because oh, you absolutely not. You're in the middle <laughs> of figuring it out, but you being able to say that you're giving each other choices and space and you're balancing things and you're you're making sure each other's heard. I mean, you have the formula. It doesn't make the journey easy just because you figured out which car to take, right? I mean, that's what I always tell people is you can't always determine whether the road's going to be full of potholes or dirt or or paved or whatever, just because you have figured out where you want to go. There's still this path that you have to take to get there. And that path isn't always paved with sprinkles, but it is. Life is hard. We talked about that before we were even recording and it's all about choices and respect and boundaries and all of those things, and knowing that you're also not going to do everything perfect. You know, you're going to have to sometimes say, Well, it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to. So <laughs> that's where I growth comes from. Gonna, yeah, exactly. I guess that's, gonna... that's
1: where you grow. It's your hardest <laughs> moments. And that's what I explain to people that I have had so many people that have come out that are in similar situations to me, and they're kind of like, how did you do this? Or they're first interacting with women because women are creatures that no one understands. And they're like, how, <laughs> like, how do you get through this part? And I'm like, basically, I just, I take them as lessons. Like I, each person that I meet, I realize what I want more in life and what I will put up with and what I don't want to put up with, because there are some people that I just, you met them for a reason, but they just aren't meant to stay in your life right. as right. whatever way that you envision them to be. Sometimes they're just purely for the lesson.
0: They're a reason person, right? I always say there's reason, season, and lifetime, right? We have very few people that we're going to go that lifetime journey with. Very few. Absolutely. And, And once we accept that, I mean, hopefully it's our kids. I'm living proof that's not always the case even, but hopefully we go the whole journey with our kids And at this point, I'll be happy if it's one or two other people that make it. (laughs) Like, those are the people that beyond that, it's like most people are in our life for a reason or a season.
1: Mm -hmm. And And that's, I think why Alex's death also hit me so hard, because I saw him as, you know, a lifetime person. And I do every single day, like there is something that reminds me of Alex or there's something that will make me laugh. And I'm like, you know what, Alex would find this really funny. And there's other. Uh, friends that, you know, haven't gone through this and it's hard to have that conversation with them about, you know, this was my best friend growing up from the time that I was 11 until the time that I was, you know, I wasn't exactly 20, yet, but basically 21. And even in that short time, and, you know, you're in a very like juvenile, adolescent headspace, the bonds that you can still create in that time that do further affect you in adulthood.
0: Right.
1: You know, he... He's a real thought man. You gave me the ashes that after his... I think it was the a year after he had died. I think it was...
0: Yeah, we had that for, his, for for the first birthday. One. His and 22nd so, birthday, but yes, the first one after yeah. he died, yeah. And so those ashes literally go over to me. Like,
1: I, I move them around depending on... <laughs> What I'm doing, like right now they're in my truck because I was, you know, driving to Kansas City and stuff a lot. And so he's just in my truck with me. And anytime I've ever traveled when I moved to Japan and whenever I traveled to other places in Japan and every year on his birthday and on the day that he died, I try and spread his ashes in the different places that I've been around the world. And so I still carry him with me everywhere I go. And every other second, I am constantly trying to better myself to be better for the next person that could be like Alex that does need me. in a way that I can fulfill.
0: Well, it's been really hard. That's not even a good word. There's a lot of words that aren't good right now when you're talking about these things. But as much as I can say it out loud, I have come to understand that I don't know if I believe in fate on the level that I believe everybody has an exact day and time and way and all of that. I don't necessarily believe that the way that he went or something was necessarily etched in stone. And I'm not a believer in God, so I don't have that thought process. But as much as somebody can possibly understand this, I've come to believe that Alex was here for the amount of time he was supposed to be. There have been too many serendipitous things that have occurred that make me believe that even as a little boy there's parts of him that didn't know but knew that he was here for a time to do the work that he needed to do while he was here and this is the thing is so often we look at death and people in western society because it isn't this way all over and you've had the the luxury of living in different cultures And I know that it's not probably, it's a little different in Japan versus how it would it be like in South America and some places. But cultures all over the world don't necessarily believe that because somebody's died, they're gone. They -hmm. hold them very dear. They take, I mean, indigenous people in this country, you know, they don't pray to gods. They deal with their ancestors and they deal with the energy of the humans that have been in their life. And, you know, they call upon the earth and the sky and things that are elemental. And I believe that Alex is still impacting us as long as we are going to allow him to. And that's the thing that a lot of people think they have to let go after somebody dies and you don't have to let go. You can allow Alex to continue to influence your life and affect your life. And that doesn't mean we're not going to have broken down shitty moments where we're like, but God damn it, I actually physically need you here right now. We're still yeah. going to have those moments because we're human and we still want their humanness here. But for the most part, we just know that's not the case anymore. And so for me, it's become healthier to understand that I do still have a choice to let his life influence me and the decisions I make and the paths that the same as I would have as if he were alive. And that means at times I'm going to be like cussing him out or whatever, or saying, yeah, I'm not listening to that right now. But you know, there were so many things that connected Alex and I just like with each of your children, you have a different connection that I still, I'm, I'm now choosing to nurture those connections even more as much as I can with him not in the physical form so I want I hope that you'll continue to do that in your life and it sounds like you have but I shouldn't be surprised because you tend to go about things in a very out loud but healthy way now
1: that's <laughs> <laughs> why we're so good together you know the fact that he didn't do the splits at my wedding is very
0: <laughs> so he didn't rip his pants there I am so, well probably because and I've seen the pictures of your wedding he wasn't wearing a pair of pants that actually fit him very well that was so Alex too like <laughs> Like his mother would have always taken him and bought new pants or whatever, but Alex was either, he didn't have time. Like, I don't have time to do that right now, mom type of thing, or no, I don't need you to buy pants. These are fine. Cause he didn't, like you said, he didn't want people to do things for him because in (laughs) his mind, it was going to stress him out or something. I remember buying him a bunch of clothes and shoes and things before he went back to school because he wouldn't go shopping. And he said, I don't need things and you don't need to spend your money, mom. And I'm like, I don't think I'd ever give my kids a, an idea that I was destitute, but Alex would act like that. <laughs> you don't need to spend your money. I'm like, Alex, you're wearing one pair of shoes because you've let Harper chew up your other pairs. And so I would just go buy things. And if he really hated it, I would then take it back. But I would, one of the things of his that I still have, there's a pair of shoes that I have under the edge of my bed that are his. And he didn't wear them very much because I got them to I got them for him while he was home and so he hadn't worn them very often but that reminded you know it's for me it's one of the reminders of Alex's personality because I had to force those freaking shoes <laughs> along with two or three other pair on him to go here somebody doesn't need one pair of shoes and you have someone willing to buy you things please
1: Yeah. Ferry him. I remember just whenever we had our little brief period of dating when we were so in love, whenever (laughs) we were like 12 or 13 or whatever. It was a couple of
0: times to be fair. You guys guys dipped your toe in that a couple of times.
1: I will forever say in some aspect, he was like our soul connection we had. Like he was my soulmate, just not in the traditional soulmate that you see as like a traditional partner. But I still firmly believe that he when I were soulmates in some way, shape or form. And, you know, I just like with my husband, now Ryan, uh-huh. like, I love him dearly, but I was say, Ryan like, is
0: definitely a soulmate. You've been, I know, you know, this as hard as life can be. You've been very lucky to have a couple of the connections that you've had and have for sure. in your life, the soulmates that you've found. And also a reason to, for people to understand that our soulmate doesn't always have to look what we traditionally think it's supposed to look like. Right. Yeah, not Loving all. somebody and them being your soulmate don't have to be the same thing. I, I think one of my
1: best friends, her name's Caitlin. You know, she's married very straight. We don't have any type of, you know, little gay things that go on there. But as a best friend, she gets me so well that I'm like, you were like my soulmate. As a friend term, as like a female <laughs> best friend, you were my soulmate because you under, like, I can just say something to be like, Ex- exactly.
0: Yes, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't be more appreciative of you being willing to have this conversation because I think that I told you this before we started recording, but I, I, I just want to give a voice to friends that have lost someone they love because the impact that it's had is immense. It's something that you're going to carry with you forever. It wasn't something you just heard about. It was something that impacted your life and i think too often you just hear the parents talk about their loss or the siblings talk about their loss and i'm just so thankful for you being willing to come on and and talk about alex and how all of this has affected you
1: yeah of course whenever you asked me i was i was very honored and i I Have tried to keep up with your podcast as much as I can with um, me doing other things, but I was very honored, very happy that you asked me because Alex is one of my favorite things to talk about. I like to talk a lot. (laughs) And so if it's about Alex, I will talk about Alex all day long. And it's also just hard because I can't even put into words just describing like how much he meant to me and the impact that, you know, his death did have on me, especially because, like you said before, there's days that you remember so vividly after leading up to it. And there's also just days that you, don't remember anything just cause like the guilt just kind of like, drowned it out. And I, I feel like that a lot with like certain memories and things. And I'll be like, I know that we, we did this or, you know, I knew I felt this way cause I felt so lost for the longest time after Alex. I, I, especially because I hadn't been married for very long and you know, I just had a kid and.
0: And then he went on assignment and was gone or training. I guess he went to training. Yeah. And so, then and you so had, yeah, I had had no one and
1: I, I had a couple of panic, panic attacks, like after Alex, died, like I would be trying to sleep and I would just be like, so wrapped up in thinking about Alex and thinking about, you know, that I was alone and I would end up having panic attacks because of like how much I missed him and how much I just, you know, I was 21. I had no idea, like really had to be an adult and I am raising a child and I've, I'm trying to, which I feel like you can relate to this in a way because just because Parker and Lauren were older, but they're still your kids and you are trying to grieve on your own which I can't obviously my son was different because, you know, he wasn't directly related to Alex, but he had to see me struggle, even though he was very young, he still saw me struggle. And I was trying to put up the front like I was okay. And I know that I'm sure you relate to that a lot because even though you're all grieving the same thing, you're also trying to make sure that, you know, your kids are also okay at the same time and that you're putting your best foot forward for them. And it's just really hard to tackle all of that on your own.
0: It is. And parenting is the one thing that will, you know, I've always said parenting can bring you to your knees and it's definitely by far the best thing I've ever done with my life. It's always been the only thing I've ever said that if at the end of this life, they can at least say she was a good mom, I'll be fine. You don't think that means that you're going to bury one of them though. So that's its own, you know, did, didn't know that was, a, again, parenting isn't for the week. <laughs> yeah. Um, Right? (laughs) That's for sure. So if you can give, if you can end with some word of hope or something, or you can end with a bad joke, however you feel like, I would uh, love to hear you say something to somebody that you think would be listening and might need to hear something else you have to add.
1: Have those uncomfortable conversations, whether it's about mental health or it's about someone's just struggling in general that doesn't relate to mental health, but they're just like having a hard time making a decision about something or trying to come out to you. And that was something that was very thankful. Alex probably knew I was gay the entire time, but he never added me. And I'm very thankful for for that. Just (laughs) like my husband did it. Give people the time to want to express themselves, but take the time to listen. And just because you're listening also doesn't mean that you're hearing them. So make sure that you're checking yourself and you know, you're listening more and talking less and you're, Sometimes people just need to vent, and they just need to kind of get out how they feel, and then take a second to regroup, and then work it out in sections how you want to break down that topic. Because a topic is such as big as being gay or having suicidal ideations, you know, those all root and stem from bigger things, and there typically there's multiple factors that go on about that. So I think it's best to just take the time to sit down and have the conversation, and break it down, and don't just immediately rush to trying to be a fixer because sometimes someone doesn't want you to just fix it for them because they want to fix it for themselves, but just they want someone to listen and hear them. So I think that is the best piece of advice that I could give anyone is just to listen.
0: I love that. I think that's great advice is listen, don't have, don't worry about being a fixer. I've had to learn to sometimes say to the people, the one or two people that I trust enough to really share my insides with, Sometimes I have to say the words, I don't need you to fix this. I just need you to listen Mm -hmm. because that gives them permission to just listen.
1: For sure. So sometimes people need that note because a lot of other people, you know, are like I myself, I like to vent about my struggles, but I'm also a fiction. I'm like, what can I do to do this? I, you You present me with a problem. (laughs) You present me with a problem. I'm going to fix it. I love you. I want whatever this is to go away. But you know, sometimes you do have to preface that and be like, I just need you to listen. So then they're not overwhelmed with feeling like they're coming out and saying whatever they need to say. And then overwhelmed with now I have to hear what they're going to say back. I just need to get this off my chest in a way and get it, just say it into existence.
0: I also think that sometimes doing that will allow you to have somebody that's a better listener because you've released them from people are a lot of times guilty of not listening to you. They're not hearing you because they're listening in order to respond. So they're trying to formulate Mm -hmm. their fix or their response Mm -hmm. instead of just listening to you. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, if you want advice, you can say, so now that you've heard me, can I ask what your advice might be or whatever, but to have those difficult conversations in our real relationships can also sometimes be even just that learning how to how to navigate those relationships so that you can not only be a better listener but then train other people to be a better listener for you as well for sure and i think that's something i that
1: can carry on to all relationships too and just you know they have the experience with you and then they can carry that on into other friendships or relationships that they may have so i think it's I a very sound fundamental building block for listening
0: I agree. I agree. And we'll end here, but I am so thankful and I'm just glad we had the the time to talk and catch up, Nick. And I love you so much.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I love you so much. I'm very honored. Thank you for letting me be a part of this and talking about Alex.
0: Yeah. Anytime. Well, we'll say goodbye for now, but we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Grievers. It is my hope that from today, you will take that which serves you and simply leave the rest. If you connect with what you have heard, please subscribe to get notified of my new episodes every week. And please feel free to share it with others in the suicide loss community. If you are so led, I would also be honored if you would leave a review so that others might find us more easily. You can find me and always to connect with me at my Instagram, The Leftover Pieces. I want you to know That i know how very very hard life is now it's true that we will never be the same but we are going to be okay we will figure this out somehow together and we will keep our loved ones with us because there is no getting over or past grief only learning to live more gracefully alongside it only through talk can we keep their memories alive learn to live again and bring some awareness so that less will suffer. Join me again next week, and we will keep the talk going. We will sign off today, as always, with the wise words of my Alex's favorite, Peter Pan. Never say goodbye, because goodbye means going away, and going away means forgetting. Grievers, no one here is forgetting. Talk soon.